Let's, um, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do speak to us through it. Thank you for the way in which we have sought to gather around the Exodus story and to understand it afresh and anew. Help us now, Lord, as we remember this familiar part of the story. Help us to hear your voice and accept your challenge as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over these last few weeks, we have been uh, thinking a lot about the Exodus story, this really powerful and foundational event in the life of the people of Israel, uh, both for um, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, but also uh, for the New Testament for us as Christians, fundamental uh, moments of God's deliverance. And uh, we reach this stage now where we are on the edge of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. Uh, and uh, uh, we are uh, on the edge of seeing the, the, the great sort of deliverance of God as he leads the Israelites. At the cross, we see both in, but also face of the of the thief at the cross who cries out, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." Uh, Jesus replies with those beautiful words, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. I, I don't want anybody to, to go away from our service today doubting these fundamental truths. We are believers. We are the people of the cross and of the resurrection. Judgment is real, but it need not be a source of fear when we place our trust in him. But going back to the story of uh, the Egyptians at the Red Sea, we see a story of God's eventual judgment of those who have oppressed, those who have sought to uh, uh, put a people under uh, persecution. And, and this story is clear that those who oppress ultimately will be judged by God. And we've had this amazing story of the of the plagues that came upon uh, the, the Egyptians as uh, Moses asked them this question, let my people go. And and that these plagues uh, reached their fulfillment in the story that, that David shared with us last week, the story of the Passover, where uh, uh, the lamb is sacrificed and the blood put on the lintels and the doorposts and the angel of death passes over uh, the people of Israel. But then kills the son uh, for anything touched of the Passover lamb. And finally, the Egyptians say, that's, up, that's enough. We've had enough. You've got to go. They want to drive the Israelites out. And they do. And the Israelites go out and begin their journey. 
But then something happens. Something happens to Pharaoh and presumably to those around him. And there is this, this, this question, uh, which uh, is in the reading this morning. What have we done? What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. What have we done? We have lost. We have lost their services. And suddenly it's as if Pharaoh and the Egyptians realize that, that they ha- are going to have to change as they have lost the Israelites. They've lost the Israelite labor. They've lost the comfort that comes with it. They've lost the prestige of, of having a slave nation to build their beautiful monuments and cities. Their way of life is being threatened and changed because of this loss. And powerful as they are, they do not want to lose. They can only see at this moment what they are losing. And so they do what powerful people often do. They use force to try and get back what they had before. They use force to try to to make clock go back and to enforce a different uh, reality. And they chase after uh, the Israelites into uh, uh, into the wilderness. And there is this standoff. At the, uh, at the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, which is about the language and so forth. But uh, the Israelites have the Egyptians on one side and the sea on the other, and they are terrified. Uh, and, they, and, they, and it's really the first of many, many occasions when they say to Moses, why have you done this? It would have been so much better if you had left us alone. We could have lived um, as servants, but we could have lived in, in Egypt. And now... Uh, we are going to uh, be killed here at this point in the wilderness. But God, of course, has other plans, and we know that the story unfolds. Uh, During the night, uh, God parts the sea. It's not a a one-off sort of Charlton Heston moment. It happens overnight, and the people of Israel pass through uh, the sea. And then, of course, the Egyptians follow them. And with their chariots and their heavy armor, they get stuck in the seabed and the waters come back and they are drowned. God's final judgment falls on the Egyptians. This powerful people who had done, made such profound mistakes. Firstly, they had forgotten their own story. It's me helped us think about this, didn't he, a few weeks ago. The Egyptians had forgotten their own story, the story of Joseph, the story of this Hebrew, this Israelite who came and rescued them. The story of companionship, of fellowship, of rescue. They had forgotten that story. And they had chosen, as that people grew, as the Israelite people grew, they had chosen to be fearful and inward-looking rather than to be uh, generous and building a new community. And they chose to become oppressors instead of friends and fellow citizens. The Egyptians fell into these traps. The Egyptians uh, 
made these deep and profound mistakes to forget their own story, to turn in on themselves, to become fearful and to decide to oppress. But this story tells us that that didn't work, that ultimately they were judged because of it. And oppression never does work, does it? Ultimately, God is on the side of the oppressed. The Egyptians could only see at this point what they were losing. And yet, ultimately, they lost completely. And it's as if trying to understand the story from the perspective of the Egyptians, we are asked about these questions. What happens to people in positions of power? What happens, perhaps, to us? Will we forget our story? Will we choose to be inward-looking? Will we choose fear and oppression instead of being able to look up and out and begin to build something which is better and richer? Different, yes, but better and richer. I mean, trying to think about this this week in, in terms of, of my own sort of life and experience and um, being of a particular generation, I can, um, I can remember children's television and, and seeing, um, seeing a black woman for the first time, uh, Floella Benjamin, and, uh, and, and seeing this woman of, of huge energy and talent. And I remember her eyes and I remember her lipstick. I don't think there was any sort of um, inappropriate. I was about six at the time, but it, 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 was, it was an amazing sight. Um, this beautiful woman. And then I, I remember seeing the news read by someone called Moira Stewart, who, who, who had the most immaculate British accent. And then if you flipped over onto ITN, you, you saw this, this amazing man called Trevor MacDonald beginning to read the news and, and reading it for what felt like my entire lifetime. And then, and then these amazing people cropped up in our national life. And, you know, at a time when Great Britain never won anything at the Olympics, there was this sprinter called Linford Christie who, um, who just tore down the track and, and won us a gold medal. And there was this amazing uh, uh, program on the um, board called Tis Was. Um, and um, there was this... this comedian. Uh, there was. There's this comedian called Lenny Henry, and um, he, he was he was phenomenal and full of energy, and uh, and the and the and the figures have gone on, haven't they? We think of people like Denise Lewis and Kelly Holmes and Idris Elba. Isn't Idris Elba the coolest actor on television? And uh, there's there's Nadia Hussain and there's Moen Ali and there's Raheem Sterling and um, uh, and there's an author like M uh, Mallory Blackman who. Um, uh, forgive me, I, I didn't even know Mallory was a, was a woman and, and I didn't know she was black, but I've heard her speak now and she is phenomenal. And uh, when it comes to uh, politics, um, obviously you, you love or loathe the people that you agree with or not, but, but, <laughs> but we have some wonderful characters, don't we? We have Sadiq Khan and Diane Abbott and Rishi Sunak and Sajid Javid and Priti Patel. And the story goes on. And each of these people 
have brought riches to our nation, have made their contribution, have made our national life deeper and better. Is it possible to look at these people and say that this country has lost? It is only possible to look at these people and say that our country has gained, that we are the richer because these people say that our country is their country. And somehow to be able to tell the story, to tell the story of our nation in such a way that we are blessed and enriched and deepened, that our nation is, is brought to life, that the word colour is used solely as a compliment, that people have brought colour to our nation, to not look at what is lost, because of course some things are lost. I find it strange walking down the Stratford Road and thinking I might um, speak to someone who, 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 who understands English and I might not. I might go into a shop and, um, I, and I might not. There are, changes. there are changes, of course, and it is possible to view changes as loss. But to concentrate on those and to miss what we have gained is to fall into the, the trap of the Egyptians who could only see what they were losing. I want us to be able to put ourselves into the place of the Egyptians and to see that we face a choice. We either face a choice to see what we lose, to turn inward and become fearful, or we look out and we say, look at all that we can gain, all that can change and all that can enrich us. And yes, part of that looking out may be to do things that are overdue. And on our Thursday evening group, I'm looking at, um, looking about this book called uh, We Need to Talk About Race. Um, one of the things the book tells us to do is, is, to, is to acknowledge and apologize and to repent and repair. People of power, to acknowledge and apologize, to repent and repair. But I also think that there is some space to rejoice. Rejoice because there is hope for a better future, hope for a future where we are enriched by one another. We realise not what we lose, but what we gain. To look not inward, but outward. To begin to sing a new song, a song which is one enriched by the gifts and talents and presence and skills of people from all over the world. And I want the church, I want our church to be at the forefront of that and to say, wherever we are from, we have 
a place. We have a role. We have a gift. We have something to share. We have something that brings a particular note or melody or harmony to the song of the people of God. So here are the Egyptians tearing down on the Israelites, about to face the judgment of God because all they can see is what they are about to lose. Might we learn from them and say, there is nothing to lose. There are only things to gain. Amen. Amen. In going to do the best, Tom. In going the best. Thank you, Michael. Right. We're going to, um, we're going to, uh, Hear now, hear a little bit from um, uh, from story and, and uh, personal experience, and I'm I'm delighted that um, Brian is going to share with us this morning. I, I at the moment, I, there you are, Brian. I'm going to put you on there. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Okay, that's lovely. Thank you. Thanks for asking me to share. Um, let's go. Um, 20 years ago, talking to a friend of my dad's, uh, they grew up as friends. Um, and this friend, he lived or grew up in Balsall Heath, so area that's local to us, we know it. He said that walking to school from A to B, a bit like the Israelites, now trying to get to the promised land, I guess, but walking from A to B. Um, Irish white dads uh, would come out and ask or get him to fight their sons. Um, and it was like a battleground to get, for example, to school. Uh, and this would be in the 1950s or 60s. As a teenager myself, a sense of toughness uh, was also evident in my black peers. Um, and one challenged them in any racist way um, at their peril. Um, these black peers hung together and had reputations of toughness. Uh, and these reputations had to be upheld. Um, I'm in the realm of maleness here. Um, please bear that in mind. <clears throat> please also bear in mind, I'm mixed heritage. Um, my dad, black, my mom, white. So anything now I have to say is from a mixed heritage uh, point of view. In the 21st century, I think the higher profile of mixed heritage persons gives such people a much needed boost in kudos. Uh, we have, for example, Meghan <coughs> Markle, who's now married to uh, <coughs> Harry. It's cool to be a mixed heritage. And uh, you think there you get the best of both worlds. I certainly found I had the best of both worlds accepted within the black and white communities growing up, but not fully being a part of either. Therefore, it is surprisingly with a sense of loss and left behindness when I hear the voices of black persons expressing a justified outrage of the injustices embedded in the world around them. Because their experience isn't fully mine. Remember, in my own perspective, I am neither black nor white. I am, uh, and as a child, one does need black and white to fully understand, to fully belong in it. <clears throat> in which, 
I identify now as black, but culturally I am white. There's no contradiction in this uh, for me, but I cannot claim the same formative experiences of black people. And in that way, you might say I am in deficit and bereft with a sense of being othered both from the black and white uh, communities. What is there is And I'm left floundering asking, what actually is mine? DNA, I find there is the same sense of outrage whenever I come across injustice in the world. Any sense of being respected. Seeing this as a generalization um, evidenced in black persons when I was teaching, uh, when I'm working on the bus now. I am astounded to hear of the self-restraint, the constraint, the grace of my sisters in Christ at St. Christopher's when they experience racial abuse. This has never been my experience. Amongst my black peers, possibly with myself. But remember, I am relating solely in the black male realm, the toughened black male realm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, Brian. That's um, really, really, uh, really great. Um, sorry, I've just um, there we are. Thank you for sharing part of your story with us and for enriching us and providing another dimension. So um, thank you.